I was just thinking as Blaine was talking that, um, you know, one thing that Mountain Child, specifically Luke, who was our guide in, uh, in Nepal, uh, one thing he said about um, just hearing of the prayer that was going on and the meetings that were going on while we were gone in Nepal is he just, he said, man, this is the second year that I'm just astounded at the community in your church that you guys have. And um, whenever I think of that and hearing these testimonies like Dustin, um, I think we really began to see like an upward climb in discipleship and community and relationships. Um, We began to see that when the Lord led us away from kind of like a one big men's Bible study during the week and one big women's Bible study during the week. And he just led us to do these smaller core groups um, that were all throughout the week whenever people could make it. And just, you know, I don't know how many years, it's been maybe five years now for the men and four years for the women. And we've just seen this growth in our body of relationships and community and accountability and encouragement and just um, knowing one another and uh, walking in the light and growing as disciples. Um, And that came up Uh, one of our nights uh, in Nepal when we were just kind of sitting around a stove, uh, Jeremy just mentioned, you guys, like, before the Nepal trip, we all were pressing in, fasting with each other, texting each other, encouraging each other. We were at our core groups. We were at Wednesday night, you know, and we can't go back from that deep fellowship with one another. And it's just cool that core groups was one of those things that Jeremy mentioned. So if you're new to the body, uh, get plugged into core groups. Uh, they're, they're really one of the main life veins of our body. And just before we share uh, from the Nepal team, that's right, Dan's not here, so we had an extra chair. Um, it's just for Jesus right here. Um, I just wanted to share a little bit. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with our history with Nepal and how we got there, I mean, that's a whole hour just story in and of itself. So we'd encourage you to get on the church website or the podcast if you're on your smartphone and look up Radical Sunday. Okay, look up Radical Sunday in the teeny tiny search bar on the media player there and um, look, look it up and it tells the whole story of how we got from A to B. And then if you also look up um, Jack Reed, uh, he's the, the founder of Mountain Child and he he was so stirred by what God was doing in our church, he felt compelled to come to Prineville, uh, took a big part of his um, little time in the United States to be with us here, and he also gives a very stirring um, exhortation and encouragement about what's going on in Nepal. So uh, we don't have time to kind of start at point A for everybody. That's a great way to find out the incredible Book of Acts style open door that God's given this church Uh, for Nepal. So, uh, very exciting. Uh, But one of the things is that in Genesis um, chapter 22, verse 18, God makes a promise to Abraham where he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So, Paul would later say in Galatians that it's in Abraham's seed, and he says it's not many seeds, 
but it's one seed in particular, that is Jesus. In the seed Jesus from Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the word nation is ethne, and it can be translated to speak of the smallest people group that there could possibly be, like like an immediate family. And so it's kind of exciting when you think of that, that through Abraham's seed, Jesus, every immediate family of the world will be blessed with forgiveness of sins and being reconciled to their creator. Uh, The same promise is given to uh, Isaac, Abraham's son. And in that translation, it says, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So uh, you've, and then it's also given to Isaac's son, Jacob, in your seed. It goes back to all the nations of the world will be blessed. So there's this promise that through Abraham, all the world will be blessed by Jesus Christ, okay? Um, then if you flash forward to the end of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 5, we see before the throne of God, a group of people worshiping Jesus, the lamb who was slain, who redeemed them from their sins. And it says that in that group, it was a group from every tribe, every tongue, and every people, or every nation, every family, every community, every tribe is represented there. And so you've got the beginning in Genesis, through Jesus, the whole world will be blessed. Then you've got the book of Revelation, the end of it all. They're all there being blessed. And then we have this in-between period that we're living in now. And there's different studies that have been done. And so there's, there's freedom in this. It's not dogmatic. But Joshua Project and Operation World do incredible deep studies uh, to show that out of the uh, 7 billion people of the world, half of them are still unreached with the message of the gospel. Um, that means that they have yet to hear about the seed of Abraham Jesus, the Son of God who died for us to wash away our sins. So since the time of Abraham to here we are now, half the world currently right now doesn't know of Jesus, doesn't know his name, doesn't know his story, doesn't know how they can be forgiven of their sins and, and freed from hell and, and put towards the path of being with Jesus in heaven. Um, And so, you know, you go to kind of the midway point of our timeline when Jesus came, he lived the perfect life, he died a sinner's death, he rose from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, after showing himself alive by many infallible proofs for 40 days, he told the disciples, now all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and now I'm giving you a commission to go out and to preach the good news, preach the gospel, Preach about the seed of Abraham. And he says in Mark's gospel, go and preach it to every creature in the world. And he says in Matthew's gospel, go and preach it to every nation of the world and make disciples. So kind of the halfway point, if you will, between us and Abraham, you've got Jesus. And he said, go tell all the world. And then we've got the stats for today that half of the world has never heard of Jesus before. I think it was George Ladd that said, you know, there's, you know, maybe it's three quarters of the world that's never heard. Maybe it's nine tenths of the world. Maybe it's nine tenths that have heard of the gospel. But here's the thing is, 
Jesus says in Matthew 24 that the gospel will be preached into the whole world and every nation before the end comes. And that will be a testimony of me. And Jesus hasn't come yet. And so we know that there's work to be done. Amen? Okay, so one of the incredible things about after times of fasting and prayer in this church, God just plopped Kevin and I in Birmingham, Alabama next to this guy, Jack Reed, who has a a mission to Nepal uh, that um, is reaching the northern part of Nepal in these hard-to-reach areas of the Himalaya Mountains where valleys and peaks and glaciers and giant mountains separate tribes and tongues. They don't get across peaks to talk to each other. They speak different languages. You can go 30 miles this way and five miles this way, and they speak different languages and can't understand each other up in these mountains. Lo and behold, every language will be represented before the throne of God. But there are language groups up in the Himalayas that have never heard of Jesus. And so the vision of uh, the footstool project, which is our main force that we're allowed to use that, that phrase now, we're allowed to say the footstool project, it's the church planning gospel-centered part of the mission to Nepal. And the footstool project sees that there are 329 people groups in the Himalaya mountains, and only nine of them have been reached with the gospel. And so they have a 40-year plan to get brave disciples to get going up into these mountains and to get reaching these people. And that in 40 years, these people will have been reached, they will have a written language, and they will have the scriptures in their language, okay? Uh, And so that's part of what we're doing. We're going into unreached areas. Our group went into the Tamang region of the Rasua district in Nepal uh, to tell this still unreached people group about Jesus. Now, there were some churches there, and there were some Christians there, but unreached means that there's less than 2% Christian, which means that there's no active discipleship making going on there. Nobody's on a mission. They've just perhaps been born again, and that's 2% or less of the population. And just real quick, in that statistic of half of the world not being reached with the gospel, the statistic goes on that half of that is called unengaged unreached, which means there is currently nobody going, nobody even trying to get in there. There's various reasons why either it's hard to get in there because of the mountain passes and the elevation sickness and all that kind of stuff, or it's hostile, there's terrorists around there. You're going into like Iran or Afghanistan or Pakistan or, you know, the 1040 window of the world. Um, is unengaged, unreached. And so we believe it's part of our mission of this church that God has called us to be disciples, and it's our vision statement there on the wall in the back, uh, who are sent out. Uh, We make disciples here, and we send disciples out. Not everyone can go, but everyone still is a part of the process. We send disciples out, and they go out, they proclaim, and they embody the gospel of Jesus Christ Uh, for the glory of God among the world. So, uh, praise God, that's just, we had a small part, and you guys had a giant part as well, helping fund us, helping encourage us, and helping pray for us while we were gone. You are just as much a part of it. In fact, perhaps this Wednesday night, we're going to just spend some time hearing from the church body who was a part of it to, to be able to discuss and talk about all that God did and just even encourage the team a little more of what happened here while we were over there. Um, 
You'll remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, about four weeks ago, we were in that text together where it says that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, every single one of us. And we go out and we persuade men and we plead with men and women that they might be reconciled to God. And it says there in 2 Corinthians 5 that no longer do we regard men according to the flesh and just see their bodies and their appearance. Maybe their scary faces they're making at us or their lame faces. And you're like, I don't know if I want to be in heaven with that guy for, you know, whatever, you know. And, and it's like, hey, we don't see fleshly stuff. We see souls, souls that are going to be judged. And that motivates us and moves us. And what motivates us and moves us even more, 2 Corinthians 5, is that Christ came, lived, died, and rose again. That motivates us and that moves us. And so wanted to just give some, some, the word of God to us today, some motivation of why we're doing this. But the truth is if you are here today and you have been, been unreached with the gospel, we pray today that you would turn to follow Jesus. We would plead with you today to be reconciled to serve the living God. Uh, that you are dead in your sins and in your trespasses. And unless you believe on the name of Jesus and his atonement for your sins to forgive and wash them away, then you are dead in your sins and you are perishing just as much as the Nepali in the highest of highs of the mountains. And so today, you need to know that you can be blessed through the seed of Abraham, the child of Abraham. His name is Jesus And he came to be a blessing for you, to wash away your sins and to reconcile you to God that you've sinned against. So let that just fester in your heart as you're hearing these testimonies. And at any point during today, you can just turn your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, I've been at war with you. I've been serving myself and my own gods. And I want to turn to you, Jesus, who have pursued me. You've redeemed me. You've forgiven me. And now you give me this mission to be a part of telling the world about you. And you don't have to stand up, sit down, turn around, whatever, lift your hand up. Just right where you're at, you can decide to follow Jesus and start following him today. So um, praise God for all of that, amen? All right, well, let's get into the the more boring stuff, the story about Nepal. And these guys are snoozers, let me tell you. Um, So couple things before we get started. Uh, this, is, this is just as much of it. So if we want to go ahead and get the slideshow rolling, I'm not sure if uh, I'm actually linked. One quick half a, quick half a second here. Okay, it's on. Okay. Leandra is in control. All right. So uh, we left on January 17th. Uh, We had two pickup trucks that were chock full stuffed, could barely get the tailgates shut, and they were full of goods and supplies that you guys in a week got together to bless uh, the missionaries in Nepal and to bless the children of the ranch houses, remote areas of Nepal, children's home, uh, and to bless um, the, the missions work that's going on over there. And, you know, they gave me a list about a week and a half before we left. And it was a long list. And Jenny Reed, Jack's wife, was like, hey, um, you know, there's no expectations. This is, you know, just kind of putting this out there. If you do one thing, that's awesome. If you do five things, that's great. No pressure. And I put it out there. And some of you gals were just like, we're doing this whole thing, you know. And 
just led this rally, led this, you know, during the fast, it was kind of part of the fast was instead of eating, we're going to be getting the food and getting the things for them. And Mountain Child was blown away. We can do the next couple airport pictures that show some, uh, oh yeah, this is just us feasting at Famous Dave's Barbecue before we went and starved to death on Nepali Dalbot rice and lentils. Anyways, uh, good times, good times. Um, and you guys, all these totes with the yellow lids, I mean, they go back a couple rows. How many, did we have 12? We had 11 of these big, huge totes, just 50 pounds a piece, like on the nose with goods for Nepal, for the missionaries. And they were like blown away. They couldn't believe that we had brought this much and everything that they asked for just so blessed. And I got to kind of peek in on Jenny as she was going through it and sorting and organizing, distributing. And there was so much joy in her heart as she did that. Later on in the week, I got to have um, dinner with Jack. And he just once again said, we are overwhelmed that you guys got all of that together. Um, It just means so much to them. And um, Also, uh, there's a new missionary family over there from Georgia, and they asked for the cast iron skillet, and I posted it on Facebook, but by the time we left, she had written out a thank you card and was just like, we don't even have an oven at home, and this cast iron skillet helps me kind of do Dutch oven stuff, and I can do some sort of baking, and it makes our lives feel somewhat normal being over here. And so just let you guys know we give glory to God and thank him for your generosity in um, providing for the needs of the saints over there. So praise God for all of that. Uh, it's just a giant airplane. Um, just to go back uh, real quick, we can go to the picture of us before the, in front of the church there. Uh, we have felt before we left for quite a while that the Lord was going to have us be trusting in him and calling out to him for big, miraculous things, that he wanted to validate the gospel through um, signs and wonders. And we don't want to focus on signs and wonders, but we would ask the Lord to do things that he says he can do to show the world he's true and he's right, believe him. And, uh, and before we left the church, we had an incredible send out. Maybe 35 to 50 people were here to send us out. We had an incredible prayer and worship time. And the Lord just said, hey, call Jeremy out, who's nasty, cold, sick, and Stephanie out, who has a back problem, and just ask the Lord for big healing things. And just begin the trip, just, just trust in the Lord, whether he does it or not, your job is to ask. And so we did, we prayed over Jeremy, anointed him with oil. I don't think he got better. In fact, the picture of him from Famous Dave shows he looks miserable. Um, but... Uh, but Stephanie says that right away her back didn't start feeling better and healing up. But by the time we got to the airport and got on the plane, she had no more pain uh, in her back. She'd been dreading getting on the plane, uh, but the Lord had healed her. So that's kind of part of the, the story is that we would try to be bold and quick and not miss opportunities uh, to pray for healing for people. Uh, just this little section is the story of Prineville to Kathmandu. Um, and Mark, would you share a little bit, there's, things, there's a microphone around here for you guys, uh, and it's being recorded, so if you could speak into them, that'd be awesome. Uh, Dustin's got one for you. Mark, would you share um, overall how the flight was all the way over yonder, but what happened to you uh, just on the plane uh, 
Alaskan Airlines flight, just chatting with that gal. It was a pretty encouraging way to start off the trip. Is Casey giving you permission to tell that story? She hasn't heard that story. You're sitting by a woman on the way to Alaskan Air. I don't know if I want to tell this story. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Probably for the best. So the, yeah, we uh, we left uh, Portland and uh, flew up to Seattle, and uh, I think I was one of the last ones on the plane. And I I went to sit down in my seat, and there's this lady about my same age is sitting there looking at me. I'm like, oh no, she may not want me to sit here. And and she immediately says, are you with this group in here? And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, you can sit down here. Plus, I like something on your coat that you're wearing. It says you're okay. Um, and uh, so she starts talking. And um, and uh, she had been listening, I think it was to Aaron right in front of us, talking to somebody else about where we're going and what we're doing. And uh, she just started asking all these questions and... and uh, she was a Christian. She had been had been experiencing a, an extremely tough time in her life, and uh, I told her what where we were going and what we were doing, and um, she was very interested in finding out about Mountain Child and stuff. And I I uh, I just shared more and more what what we were going to do. And towards the end of the flight, she says, "Man, I I just I I feel like I just want to go with you guys." and and uh, so we, uh, she gave me her email address so we could uh, email her once we got home. She, she lives in Sisters, and um, she wants to come to the, uh, the uh, Nepal dinner in March, and uh, I think she really will. But, but we got to, she prayed for me. I prayed for her and her life situation, which uh, just shows you everybody Everybody's going through tough stuff, but it was just it was just quite a way to start off the very, I guess, the second short leg of our trip, and uh, I never quit thinking about that conversation, you know, clear till we got home. And uh, Casey emailed her a couple of days ago, and I'm 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 just hoping that this you know can lead to something more. But um, that's that's good. No, that's good. <laughs> Um, no, that's awesome. It's super encouraging. And I think just to share that the flights and the time in the airports and things are just all things we're given to the Lord um, and things that are encouraging that just help us on the mission as we're going along. So. Yeah, the flights were, it was impeccable. They were on time. Um, the, the long flight back was a little agonizing, I think, for all of us, but uh, comfort-wise. But Everything was on time, no delays. It was, it was just pretty awesome. No crashes. No crashes. Yeah, that's no. always good. Yeah, a few stomach issues here and there. But. Now let's not talk about that. <laughs> right, Dustin? Okay. <laughs> what do you have on your coat? Oh. So, um, and then just a couple other airport stories. Uh, when we were in Seattle, um, my father-in-law is talking to a gal over there, and uh, there's a big flat screen TV, and... Um, Saeed's release. By the way, Saeed got freed the day we left for Nepal, which was such an encouragement and just such an answer to prayer. And, you know, just such a look at the God we serve as we go to Nepal. But um, my father-in-law is talking to this gal, and I come over and I start talking too. And it, she's from uh, Iran, and she is a Christian. 
and she uh, came over here, and her neighbor, who is a, a Russian Jew, wanted her to get a little bit of American culture, so she took her to church, and Maria is her name, ended up getting saved at church, and the Russian Jew neighbor is like, no, what, I don't want you to, like, act like a Christian, I just wanted you to get a taste of, like, some Americana, you know? And Maria starts following Jesus, and now she's witnessing to the neighbor that took her to church. And she was on her way back to Iran um, through Dubai to uh, go to her sister's funeral. And her family knows that she's Christian, um, and she really is feeling urgently to, to share with her family about Jesus. And she's afraid because she could be imprisoned. And, um, and what's up on the screen as we're talking to her is Saeed, someone that we have a close connection with, being freed, and we were able to just share that testimony with her and pray for her. And then we prayed for her again in Dubai before we sent her off. Uh, and then another quick airport airline testimony, that, uh, pretty empty flight, like, okay, we had a couple seats on the way to Dubai, and uh, there was a gal at the end of my row, and we had two seats between us, and, and uh, you know, so, you know, you, you kind of look over there like, hey, we're going to do a conversation, or no, you're not looking at me, okay, and then, nope, still not, okay, still not, still not, and uh, I fall asleep, two chairs between us, and as I'm asleep, I have my cool little eye thing on, uh, I feel this, like, rubbing against my leg, and I'm like, and I look down, and she's, like, sprawled out on the, on the airline seats, and, you know, touching my leg, and uh, it'll happen a lot in Nepal, um, and she's there, and I'm like, all right, all right, cool, and I fall asleep. And then uh, later on in the flight, she gets, you know, back up and we kind of make eye contact and we start talking and uh, I start telling her about what we do, what we're doing in Nepal and she's a believer and she's so excited and so encouraged and it's felt like God has called her to be a missionary. You know, she's probably in her late fifties, but that um, she recently has been feeling like God's calling her to be a missionary again. And as I'm talking with her, um, this guy in front of her leans his seat back, turns over and goes, hey, I think I'm doing the same thing you're doing. He's like, are you talking about the power of Jesus? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, brother, that's the only thing that works is the power of Jesus. And then, so then we talk, you know, for about three hours about his ministry in India, and he's an evangelist, and uh, he's from Canada, and just this, there were such exciting things that were happening on the plane just in the ride over. It was really encouraging um, as, as the trip started, started taking off, but uh, we got into Kathmandu, and a uh, little bit of a culture shock right when you get off the plane, and um, maybe, uh, Dustin, why don't you just speak real quick to uh, just Kathmandu, culture, seeing it, first, right off the bat, thoughts? Uh, um, okay, yeah, it, uh, it was a pretty big culture shock, I think, um, you have all these expectations when you go over there and uh, you hear about it, but you don't really process it until you get somewhere and you kind of see uh, what's going on. And um, we didn't get to see any of the earthquake damage right off the bat there at the airport or anything. So um, I was kind of waiting for that. But as far as um, the lifestyle and the I guess the busyness of, of how they do things down there um, just kind of blew my mind. And um, it's, uh, it was pretty humbling, actually, just to kind of th- see the things that they go without. Um, the, do you want me to talk about, like, the 
whole Kathmandu or just the airport, like when we showed up? Kathmandu itself, yeah. Um, yeah, Kathmandu. Uh, so I, there we're eating breakfast uh, at the Mountain Child House, uh, guest house. Um, and I was kind of a little nervous because I didn't know what kind of food, but they had pancakes and eggs. So it was pretty Americanized there. So that was pretty nice, uh, um, getting to enjoy that meal, that first meal with everybody. But um, then uh, I think we kind of went out and toured and walked around Kathmandu and you start to see the earthquake damage um, that had happened there and the stuff that people have to live through. And granted, their lifestyle is totally different than ours, but um, it's just, you see kids, uh, th things that I would never let my kid pick up and put in his mouth or walk around or be around, um, that's what they have to deal with. And, um, and then... Yeah, just stuff like that. Like, that's their wiring. OSHA would not approve that, I'm sure. <laughs> so that's kind of everywhere. It's strung along all the buildings and stuff. But they do what they have to to get by. Um, and, you know, looking at some of it, it's, and I'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but you go over there with this concept that you need to tell these people that they need to do this, they need to do that, and they don't need to be Americanized. They're happy with what they have, and they're happy with how they're doing things. Um, and I think uh, seeing this stuff was kind of um, just a wake-up call that uh, the things that we have and the things that they don't, that's not the important thing. The thing is Jesus, and that's what we're down there to do. So, um, yeah, it was a big, big wake-up call, I think, for um, seeing, like, the traffic and, and uh, driving. I was scared to death to drive because these people... to. To let you know they're coming, they honk, and then if you don't get out of the way, you're basically on their grill for the rest of the year. So it's kind of, it's really scary. Their traffic is like, I don't know if there's a one-way or a direction that they're supposed to go. I think it's just wherever you can fit through. Um, so, yeah, that was crazy. And then uh, just, uh, I think, um, for me, it was just, I, I hadn't processed it all yet. I don't know if I still have completely, but... Um, I know some stuff hit me, but it, it's just a, a different lifestyle, and it's crazy to see what these people go through, um, especially there in Kathmandu, because it's more of a, a bigger city, and so you have um, a lot of people um, like that that are just sitting there that have no, no hope, uh, and they're, um, they're kind of, actually, they probably hope in the wrong things. I know they do, just because of the um, place that we went to, um, to see the things that they worship, and... Um, yeah, it's just that uh, you'll see more of it and people will talk about it more, but um, it's humbling and sad and, and it's also um, it's also a wake-up call to see how bad people need Jesus and not just for the, the sake of, um, not for the sake of the place that they live in, but um, the people that are there also. So Awesome. Um. Sean just shared, Kenny's going to share in just a second about um, Bedour, and then he's got to go back and help with the kids. Um, Sean, just share about, most have heard about um, uh, uh, Boda and Pashpati, uh, the Hindu and the Buddhist holy sites, but just give them a quick recap, lots of pictures on that. Here's Shivalaya, what's Shivalaya Temple, and then um, Kenny will share here so we can get back there. So Pashpati is... Um where the people take the uh, relatives that have died and um, <clears throat> cremate them 
Burnham. Um, and it's just really sad. I've been there twice now. And um, uh, David Platt put it really well. It's just a picture of, of uh, it's an eternal picture of, of just what's happening to the ones that don't know Jesus, which is just being burned in hell. And um, really sad. And so it breaks your heart. And uh, Boda is a <clears throat> worship temple. Um, believe damaged by the earthquake. Um, one of the things we prayed over that last year, um, just that God would bring down temples, and uh, he, he did um, a month after we left with the earthquakes, and um, and churches would rise up. And uh, <clears throat> this time, my prayer was um, that um, not so much that God would just tear down the temples, but God would just... Uh, break the people's hearts for him and uh, anyway so it's just really sad to see those places where um, <clears throat> people um, grieving and crying and have no hope um, uh, burning the dead ones um, and there's no hope left for them um, those ones that have passed on and so um, you just pray for the people that are left and um, in the temple where they worship, you know, it's just sad. You see them do their little worship rituals, and it's all just empty and all just uh, vain. And so, anyways, um, just hits just hits a nerve, and uh, your heart just breaks for the people there. So, uh, I know for me, one thing I did a lot, a lot of. Um, was a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. Um, just because it's a sad deal. And uh, <clears throat> Posh Potty, right behind this area, um, was where the kind of the castle looking entrance or the temple looking entrance, and you saw that big bowl and his behind and all of his heirlooms. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's believed that Shiva was one out of three million gods who got tired of dwelling with the gods, and so he came and lived on the earth as a deer, and he just lived for many, many years as a deer here on earth. And all the other gods got mad at him, so they came and tracked him down and fought with him and broke off one of his antlers, and that in that temple is where the antler is, um, and that it's a special place for fertilization. And so all throughout Kathmandu, you have uh, these... Um, what's the nice way? Shivalings is what they're called. You know, and, and the women go around and touch them. And, I mean, it could be in the middle of a road and a highway goes around it. And then they come and they put their ground flower on it. And, you know, hopefully they'll get um, fertilized and, you know, have children and stuff. And so, um, but, you know, you see this whole, this is a holy site, you know. Uh, this is where Shiva's horn was placed. This is where people are cremated and reincarnated. And it is one of the most nasty, trashy, polluted, disgusting cesspools on earth. I mean, it is disgusting. Um, you look at the water and you get a disease. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, uh, and the sad thing is, though, is that that's the hope that, that this God brings out of three million gods. Um, is just waste, pollution, um, orphan, you know, um, being orphans, being poor, being beggars, and 
Um, there's a picture there of little boys huffing glue right next to the holy site, little eight-year-olds huffing glue, uh, digging through the river to get gold teeth that have fallen out of the cremated faces. And, um, you know, uh, one boy put some of the water in his mouth and sprayed it out of his mouth. And, um, you know, it's just sad. And then counter that with the God of the universe, the God of Israel, the God of Yahweh. You can go to Jerusalem to where his temple was, to where his glory dwelt. And, uh, and it's spotless. I've been in Jerusalem three times. It's spotless. It's clean. Uh, on the other end of the fence, on the Muslim quarter, people walk out of their houses and dump their garbage out under their back hill, and it's just trashed. And I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that. It's just that there's something that happens when you're following the God that created this beautiful world and gives us the stewardship of it. And it's something that you don't see in a place where people are looking out for number one, and the more they separate themselves from the people and the cares of this world, because they only bring suffering, they just got to look out for number one, and at the best part of your life, you'll just get snuffed out like a candle. Um, when you're stomping on everybody else, you don't care about the world and the globe and people's health and sex trafficking, and, you know, you care about yourself. And so that's just the reality of these religions and it's tragic and it's sad, just like Sean was saying, that, you know, when you see these Hindus being burnt, it's an external reality of what's happening in the spiritual realm right now, is they're, is they're perishing because they serve false gods and never turn to serve the living God. And the thing that I think even David Platt was tore up about was that most of them never even heard. Most of them never even heard. They're unreached. Someone needs to go and tell them. Uh, and so that's a bit of Kathmandu and then uh, Kenny. Why don't you share some of the highlights of your trip so that you can, uh, we then hopped on a bus and headed northwest to Bedour and stopped at Bedour, stopped the bus, let them out, and he'll share about Bedour and the other village that you hiked to. Okay, so Aaron and Stephanie aren't here, so I'll be the only one. <laughs> uh, so we got to Bedour, and uh, different than this year, I was, I was just excited to see the people that we had saw the year before. And just to renew the relationships and let them know that we're still thinking and praying about them, or praying for them. Uh, so as we, we got to Cynthia's and got all our stuff kind of put in the house, she said, well, let's just walk through town. And as we're walking through town, uh, a lady that we had prayed for last year that was blind called Cynthia over. And so Cynthia, we walked over and she talked to her for a little bit. And she looked familiar to me, but I couldn't, you know, I couldn't remember her name, but I, I did recognize her. And as we turned to walk away, I'm like, hey, that's the blind lady that we prayed for from last year. And Cynthia said, yeah. And she saw us walking by. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, and we later, we see her at the New Believers uh, Discipleship Group at Dill's Church. So that's just one of the awesome things we saw. Um, that's, I got to preach <laughs> for the first time ever. Uh, God gave me a word, I think, specifically, specifically for the people there and... Uh, most of you know, like up until this point, I couldn't sit up here and talk without just bawling. <laughs> so God took that away from me there, and I'm totally comfortable speaking now. So praise God yeah. for that also. Uh, Tashi, who is our interpreter that's there, she was one of the first ranch child, ranch kids that Rory's talking about. Um, and I don't know how many of you remember when uh, Jack was here, he spoke about a girl whose parents were actually martyred, that the daughter had went back to the village and the parents gave their life to Christ and they killed her. That's Tashi's best friend. So we got to hear a lot more of that story. It's just, it's awesome and heartbreaking at the same time. Um, another one of the cool things, uh, 
that, I mean, everything there that just sticks out is the things that we prayed for last time happened. I mean, the earthquake happened, tore the temple down, I mean, and literally 20 feet away, there's where we stood praying is still standing, not even a crack in it. The temple's flat to the ground. Uh, so we serve an awesome God just to see, you know, he's, he's telling the people there, hey, it's, it's me or what you're believing is not the right way. Uh, also, we prayed for Dill to get his own land and his own church building pre-earthquake. Uh, we took a picture right after we prayed, which was kind of a, an odd thing, I thought, and I, I got it uh, blown up and framed. And when I handed it to him, he took us immediately to the church, and he said, do you see this power pole? And then he shows us the picture. This is the power pole. And do you see the building? That, that building back there is this building, and right here is my church. So he has his own building, his own land, exactly where we prayed for it. So praise God for that. Uh, this is the new, new believers at Dill's church. Um, last year, I, I think he said that there were 15 or 20 people that attended his church pretty regularly. And there were over 40 at, at the new believers uh, discipleship training when we were there. Um, Pastor Gunga. Uh, we got to hear from three different pastors and we heard their testimonies. And they're all... They all involve being persecuted and many people coming through Christ through their persecution. So it's just, just awesome to see God work in there. Um, I wish Aaron was here. <laughs> he's, he's the one that's more eloquent with all the cool stories. But this is one of the temples that we were at. This is a king's palace that was uh, just pretty much laid waste. There's no way they're going to be able to fix it. It's a world heritage site, so they have it propped up. But there's... The walls of the one corner that fell out are probably 16 inch thick of rock and brick and there's, that's it, just gone and the building's leaning. Uh, and the temple that we prayed for is, prayed that it would be gone is just a little bit past here. Um, but yeah, it was just awesome to be there. And uh, another thing like when Rory was talking about the unreached people that I learned this time that they might've said last time that I didn't learn about was um, there's one missionary for every 274,000 unreached people and that's that just broke my heart you know that was the temple was the temple people are still trying to worship there you can see the the new red stuff but it's it's not going to be rebuilt there's no way they can they can fix it that's where we prayed there's not it looks the exact same Pam Pam was there it looks the exact same not a crack that wasn't there is there now so it was just awesome um, and that's all I got. That's awesome, I got to get to the back. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Kenny. Um, and they shared on Wednesday night about the Badur team. And so uh, it's recorded and it'll be online if you want to hear more about that. Um, but it's part of that King's Palace and what's significant about it crumbling down and the temple outside of that. And then the other house with the green tarp is that that was a king that was paramount in, um, in increasing sex trafficking and sex slavery in the nation. And uh, it's affected the whole country as of now. And this was 120 years ago or something. And uh, they were there praying over that palace, over that temple, all over that. Just a it's, a, it's a history of sex slavery. And it was crum- like crumbled down. The structures aren't safe. And where they were praying, um, the area is completely safe. And so just neat, neat testimony there. And just one last thing about the Bedour area is, uh, you know, Aaron and Stephanie went um, just praying for the future of their family and midterm missions and things like that. And uh, it was just cool to see that what appears to be an open door among the church in Badur and the church in Kaze, just up where they trek to. 
and that um, they have an absolute heart to disciple Nepalese. And that's what we really want, is we want Nepalese discipling Nepalese, uh, but they need to hear about Jesus in their language so that they can be discipled, and then they can go out and make disciples. And so it's really cool because Pastor Dill has a heart to go up into the region that we were trekking and to make disciples and to church plant, but he feels like he's lacking in equipping the people to be able to do that. And so it all kind of fits together through our fasting and prayer of what God's doing. We don't know exactly yet, but it's, you, you begin to see a little light rays shining in, showing us what God's doing. So uh, when we dropped them off, uh, we then headed north, northwest, uh, to the Siafru area or the Siabru, depending on what map you're looking at. And uh, we'll just look at this uh, uh, map on the, on the uh, just about at the bottom, but right up one is Siafru Bessi. And we took the road in through the valley, running through there um, from the southwest to Bedur. We brought the bus on in and we stopped and stayed a night at Siafru before we headed out on our first uh, trekking. Uh, Siafru kind of became a, a base as we would head out and, and head southeast to Tulo Siafru, uh, and then we would head uh, northwest up to Gatling or Goljong. And so Siafru just uh, kind of became a bit of a hub. We dropped gear off there when we needed to. Um, but uh, just one quick story about Siafru. Siafru was, um, you know, praying for healing and praying for signs and wonders that God would show Himself. Uh, through that. Uh, the guest house that we stayed at, the, the owner's son, his name was Cheating, uh, and he was serving us. And he was 14 years old, and he'd serve the tables. And as he served us, I mean, he was walking like this, kind of like, um, uh, what would the condition be? Uh, cerebral palsy, I, I want to say, but, you know, just major limp as he's walking and serving us. And and just, uh, the Lord burned in my heart that night. I couldn't sleep because I was thinking of him. And back at another holy site in Kathmandu, there was a man crawling on the worship streets of Boda, and he had, his legs were shriveled up and reversed. And as he'd crawl with flip-flops on his hands, they'd flap and hit against the rock as he'd walk along. And, you know, begging, and just my heart broke for him, but I didn't even attempt to pray or reach out to him. And I just couldn't sleep. I was convicted. I missed an opportunity. We were just like, let's not miss opportunities to just at least give God a chance to show his glory. And, um, and so I just woke up in Siafru with um, cheering on my heart. And I went down to breakfast that day. And after we'd eaten, I kind of went into the kitchen. And I told his parents that, you know, I follow Jesus. And here's who he is. And here's what he can do. And, and I just have a burden on my heart for their son. And they said that he had had... Um, lameness since birth and um you know and I was like can I give you a gift and just pray a blessing over him and pray for healing and so took him out into the dining room and prayed for him and grabbed each leg and just spent time interceding and praying over it and uh and then when I was done I was like well did you feel did you feel anything he's like you know uh, kind of 14 year old boyish kind of like this is awkward but um <laughs> I guess I'll respond you know uh but he said um kind of, you know, and I'm like, well, stand up and walk with me, you know, and so he's kind of like, he's kind of standing and kind of walking like he's trying on a new pair of shoes, you know, he's kind of like, 
Huh, you know, and I told him, if you get healed, you need to know it's Jesus and he wants to follow you. And, you know, you know how 14-year-old boys are, you know, sometimes they're like, I don't know what to think is going on, you know, but he's kind of like, huh, you know, and I go, you know, jump, jump a bit. And he's like, you know, and then he's like, I'm going to get back to my chores. And I'm like, do you not notice what's different here, you know? And, uh, and so we would go back through there twice and I would just try to reach out and see if they notice anything's different. And uh, he was just kind of like, uh, you know, um, because I think maybe he knew he needs to follow Jesus, you know. Um, but that was a neat just testimony of just stepping out in faith. And as far as I could tell, I mean, my dad was only a veterinarian, but it looked like his leg was made new. I didn't watch him play kickball in the streets, but, um, like, you know, if we go back up in there, we'll have to check on it. But give God the glory. Uh, Jeremy, why don't you share about the next day and how we headed up to Tulo Siapru. And so tell about the trek and tell about um, Gilson, tell about the earthquake, tell about the earthquake of sickness, stomach disease, and all that good stuff. Yeah, so we left, um, it's Saifru, Bessie, there, and went straight up. I mean, it's not like back and forth stare. It's like just, okay, we're going up for four and a half hours, five and the, Our guide said, yeah, it's a good hike. It should take about two and a half hours. And five and a half hours later, <laughs> we're crawling up into this village. Um, but that was a great village. And um, it was kind of weird when we got up in there. We're just expecting, you know, we're all hyped up. We've been sent. We're ready. We've been praying. We know you at home are praying. And we get up there and there's not like a soul in sight. I mean, there's nobody out and about and the night before it had the rains had came and apparently a lot of the villagers had taken the cows up or the um the knacks they call them knacks cross between a county yak um the knacks or they'd taken them out to feed and so there was just nobody around really um not to what we were expecting and so it was a little different feeling um right off the bat but but cool just totally excited to be in the in that village one of the things that we noticed right off the bat was um there's a main ridge that all of these guest houses sit on and you can see earthquake damage there in this picture. All of these guest houses on this main ridge, they're just one after another stacked up, um, kind of like the houses in the neighborhoods here, just big, three stories, all crumbled, just completely crumbled, shattered, not hardly a single one standing. Even those ones you see in those pictures are damaged to the point that they're not functional. There's really only one, and I don't know that there was another one. I think there was only one, maybe two. That's actually that picture right there. Um, that's a three-story building. The first floor is completely collapsed under those top two. Um, so as we're there, people are out working on dismantling some of these. Um, but that's just a picture of, of some of the earthquake damage that these people are facing. But anyway, along these ridges, there's probably seven or eight guest houses. There's only one standing, and it happens to be the one that we're staying in. And that happens to be the pastor of that village. Um, so praise God for that. Everybody that has come after the earthquake to this village to stay the only place to stay is in the guest house of the pastor of the village. So praise God for just his sovereignty in that and just directing souls, be it Nepali people or trekkers or whatever, to this pastor of this village who is not afraid um, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll see here some of these pictures are the church that this pastor has built. 
Um, it's quite a ways from that ridge, um, but you can see it up on that ridge where all the guest houses are. He has this giant pole. Uh, Landry, maybe if you go back a couple, I think you can see this. There you go. That is a giant pole of a, of a cross symbol that he has, and you can see that from no matter where you're at in the entire um, village um, valley that the village sits in. It's really neat. He's got lights that light that up at night, so at night there's just this beacon, this cross. You know. So here's a man who is living amongst his people just proclaiming the gospel, um, not only as a pastor, but just in his daily life, just abiding. Um, his name is Gilsung, and I wanted to talk a little bit about him. Um, his testimony just really moved me um, in a way that I needed to in that day because we got up there, we we're excited to get out there and start seeing kids and people, and, and there was just nobody around us, so immediately I start to go to this place of why did we just hike five and a half hours up here? And there's nobody here, right? What is the plan? You know, why, what, we know God is sovereign. There's a reason that he's brought us here. So this, this, um, Gilsong, he's, um, lets us know that he's going to share his testimony with us that night. And he has an amazing testimony. He gave me a book that I'm going to make copies of this week. I didn't get a chance to get it to it this week, but I'm going to make copies of it. It's only about a 15 minute read. Um, I'll have them out here next Sunday. I'll just probably make 20, 25 copies of them. We can make more if we need to. Um, but he's outlined line for line day by day, his testimony over the course of three years of how the Lord through his sovereign plan and salvation brought, drew him out of Buddhism, um, and drew, drew him to himself, um, and how then the Lord brought trekkers um, as disciples, you know, as we see in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, how he brought trekkers to finish um, the job, to, to, to move him from this, this Buddhism all, all into Christianity so then that he can start his training to become a pastor in this village. The Lord did all of the work, laid all of the groundwork. He was saved before these, dis these disciples showed up, and then these disciples were just able to encourage him and, and lead him in that. And um, It's a really neat testimony. Um, he says in here right in the, in the um, opening line, I eagerly waited for the arrival of the disciples of this Jesus whose name had steadily risen in rank among the gods I worshipped. So you can just imagine what this is going to look like. Um, every Saturday we would open my notebook for teaching and week by week, month by month, the, the name Yesu rose higher in rank again amongst the gods that he was worshipping, just the list of gods. And um, I don't want to um, go into too much because I do want you to read this book, but essentially he's, he's a 10-year-old kid. Um, he's out working with his mom, attending to the cattle. He he, the Lord comes upon him, throws him down into a state of unconsciousness and just immediately begins to go to work on his heart and drawing him out of the religion that his family for generations have been following. And then over the course of three years, um, the Lord angels come to him each night and start to witness to him and teach him. And he's writing in a book, um, everything that he's being taught and it's a book that there today he has sent it around the world and there is not a single person in the world that has been able to um, decipher the writings of this notebook. But in that three-year time, he could legibly, he could write it and he could read it. And he was the only one that could read it. And at the end of the three-year time, you know, he starts and Yesu is the God and he's worshiping many gods. And at the end of the three-year time, Yesu has continually risen 
in, 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 in rank and order amongst all the gods that he's worshiping until finally the last night of this three-year night, um, these, what he called the shadow men came to him and he said, my work in you is now complete starting tomorrow. You will follow Yesu and I will send disciples to help train you in following Yesu. And within two days, disciples happened to wander into his village. Um, they were lost, got off the trail, ended up wandering into his village and got to spend several days with him. And they've continued to stay in touch. And now he's a pastor amongst these villages and he goes village to village to village and, and pastors and just his testimony is just amazing what he's been able to do. So when Rory talks about the Nepali people being the ideal way for these people to reach, um, come to know about Yesu, about Jesus, um, that's absolutely correct. I mean, there's language barriers. There's all of that going on. And um, so there's a definite plan that the Lord has in these areas to raise up disciples from within. And so I'm sitting there going, why are we here? There's nobody here to teach, to talk to. And then I hear this guy's testimony. It's like, you know, we're those disciples in that story, in his story. You know, we are them. So we can come back and we can say, well, we didn't see any salvations or we didn't see any major healings or anything like that. But we have no idea the seeds that the Lord has planted just by sending us, just by going. And we have no idea. I mean, in Matthew um, 28, 19, which we all like to read, that's the, you know, the Great Commission. It says, go there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Um, the, the key to that verse is go therefore. What does the therefore mean? And if you jump back to verse 18, it says, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, therefore we go. So he has it. Jesus has it. He's holding everything. We don't go there in our own authority. We don't go there in our own strength. We don't go there with our own ideas. Can we? Absolutely. We can be out of the spirit. We can go and get all these big puffed up ideas of what we want to hope to accomplish. But unless we're there in spirit and in truth, you know, I mean, the, we're just masking what the Lord really wants to do. So that brought us to the conversations about abiding all throughout the trip. It's just like the guys at night, we'd gather around and we'd talk about highs and lows and go, what, you know, how do we hang on to this? How do we hang on to this vigor and this, um, this just joy and this blessing that we're experiencing and just this desire to proclaim the gospel? How do we hang on to it? And it's like, the answer is, is simply abiding. We talk about this in our core groups all throughout this last year. It's all about abiding, you know, and it, our witness there is no good if, you know, we go there and we say that we love Jesus and we love you and he sent us here. But as our witness here at home showing that, you know, if, if we go there and we say, we love you, we love you, we love you. And we come back here, but are we loving our spouses? Are we loving our children? Are we loving our neighbors? Are we loving our coworkers at school? Are we a witness to of Christ here, just like we're a witness there. You know, for th two months, we um, gathered every Wednesday night, and we prayed, and we learned, and we pressed in, and, um, you know, and then we come back, and this week, what's our prayer life been like this week? For all of you that were here praying for the last two weeks, what's your prayer life been like this week, you know? Um, where's the abiding um, daily, 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 so that when the Lord calls, we're equipped to go, and our witness there is strong, and our witness here is strong, and how do we just how do we stay in that? And the answer is just keeping our eyes on Jesus, loving Jesus through that love for Jesus. You know, we burn to, to abide. We burn to gather. You know, we burn to be at church on, on Sundays when we're not serving. We burn to be here, you know, every Sunday, not just the Sundays that we're serving. You know, our taxes that we're getting ready to do right now show that we're abiding all throughout the year with our finances. Um, it's just, it's this daily burn. Are there people in our, in our offices, our places of work that are unreached, that are unengaged. You know, yeah, they've all heard of Jesus, but have we taken the hour that we sat down with these people and said, 
you know, here's the gospel. Have we taken that time at work, you know? And we say that we love these people in Nepal, but are we loving everybody here? The Bible strictly says to go to all nations, and the Lord's put us in a nation right here, you know? We need to be reaching out here just like we're reaching out there. And I mean, he's blessed us here. I mean, American toilets are a major blessing. <laughs> Um, that we have, and it's great, and I don't think that we should feel bad because we're here and they're there, and we look at the way that they live. It's like Dustin said, it's just different. You know, they don't know any different, and we don't need to feel condemnation because we have cars and they don't, or we have refrigerator. I mean, it's not about that. Yeah, our heart burns for them to know Jesus, but it's not so much about the environmental issues as much as it's about this is life or death. You know, we walk through Posh Potty and Bowdoin, and we see people doing all of these rituals, thinking that that brings eternal life and salvation, and. And we say, man, they're just worshiping idols. And then we come back here, and we're worshiping idols too. They just look completely different. Our jobs, our money, our houses, our children, um, food idols. I mean, here I am. I'm just tromping at the bit to get back to Dubai because there's a McDonald's there. I'm thinking, wow, maybe I've got a food island. We've got one guy that's repenting the whole trip because he's drinking Coca-Cola, you know. And it's like, man, maybe we've got food. I mean, our idols are the same. They just look different different. It's whatever keeps us, our eyes off of Jesus as an idol. And we need to be battling that daily, you know, so that our witness is strong here as it is over there. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is just the sickness that what Rory called the earthquake of sickness and holy smokes, you guys, that first night in Thulo Saifru, um, DJ, he came down sick first and and it was like, we were, all, we were all watching him going, oh man, we don't want this. Like, we're like, do we go up and pray for him? Maybe, maybe we'll just stay down here and pray for him because we don't really want to walk up in that room. And Rory's like, I'm going. And he pulls all of his clothes up over his head and all you can see is his <laughs> eyes. And, you know, he like scrubbed in, scrubbed out, you know, <laughs> you know. Um, but anyway, so he, DJ comes down with it first and, and we're just watching it going, this is not going to be good. And then Sean comes down with it next that night. And, I mean, just to tell you, between DJ and Sean that night being sick, the next morning DJ goes out to a shopkeeper four or five houses down and up a little bit on the ridge. And he's telling him, like, we're looking for this kind of medicine or whatever. We were all sick last night. And the shopkeeper says, I know I could hear you guys. I'm telling you, that's the the level of sickness that we, that Sean and DJ experienced that night. And, um, just felt for them. Rory and, and Mark were up all night praying. Thank God we were at this guy's guest house. Any, I was thinking about this week, any other guest house that we would have been at on the entire trip um, would have been 10 times worse for us to have that level of sickness. The, the, the amenities in this guest house, not to mention um, how um, Gilsong was just a servant's heart giving um, Sean hot water um, bottles for his, for his belly. and, and bring it. They stayed up all night alongside Rory and Mark praying. Gilsong and his wife stayed up all night praying um, with, you know, just over the team and over the sickness and all. It was just amazing. And we wouldn't have experienced that any other guest house we were at. So that was praise God again for that. But Rory and I just barely get to bed. You know, we're listening to Sean and we're sitting there going, oh man, this sucks. And we just barely get to bed. And 10 minutes later, I'm like, uh-oh. So I left on the trip sick. I mean, that send-off Saturday morning, I was sick. I had a sinus infection. I'd been on antibiotics for eight days already prior to this night. And um, I was sick um, already, just sinus infection, everything, and that impacts. But So that night, we just get to bed, and I'm like, oh, no, here it comes. And sure enough, it hit me that night. It didn't hit me to the extent that it hit these guys, but it hit me. And, um, and then I lived with that for the rest of the trip every single day. Um, for five days, I went without food or water. Um, 
and everything that I would eat would come right back up. So I got to the point where I was just eating very small bits in the morning, taking a couple bites here or there, and it would come right back up. But I was like, I got to keep, you know, putting this in. And, and the same thing with the water. We were hiking two different days. We went up three thousand feet in elevation and i'm not talking about how we do elevation gain here i'm talking it's just three thousand feet straight up for five hours you know and i um the one day i was stopping and throwing up every hundred yards um at one point i'm stopped and i'm i'm stopped and the guys are gathered around me praying and i'm throwing up all over their boots (laughs) i mean it was just terrible um and so we get to the second village tom boucher and um, we'd spent a day with the church, and we're coming down, and I feel a fever coming on, and I'm like, this is not good, so this is night number two, and I'm thinking, this isn't going to be good, and by the time we get down to Thomas Shea, I'm, I'm full-on fever, run right up into bed, and for 16 hours, from the time that I, I had the fever for about 16 hours, the next morning we got up, and I had sweated through three layers of clothes, a puffy jacket, a puffy vest, and my sleeping bag. Um, I could wring my sleeping bag out with water. It was sweated. just sweated. Yeah. <laughs> There was it was it was mostly ninety eight percent sweat. Um, uh, Dustin, Dustin, um, it was miserable, you know. But I remember laying there that morning, just begging, pleading with the Lord that that this that this team would not leave me behind because I didn't think that I was going to be able to go. I just didn't think, and and. Um, but then I had to open my Bible back up to Matthew 28 and go, you know what? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. And if this was his plan for me to be in this village for however many days as the team went on, then that was his plan. And that, and that made my heart happy, you know? But if his plan was to to get me out of bed and to walk my legs up that hill, then you know then I was happy to do that too. And he did. Um, I didn't get left behind. I started out that morning with my pack, and um, they kept trying to take my pack, and I kept telling Sean, "Go away, go away." Um, I didn't want to be a burden. We were going straight up, and finally, uh, I come around a corner. And I'm way behind these guys, and uh, Sean just comes running down the trail, and he doesn't have his pack on, and and he says, "Give me your pack." And I'm just like, no way, dude. <laughs> I'll throw down right here. Don't touch my pack, you know. Um, and he says, give me your pack. And, and I gave it to him. And by the time I get up there to where the rest of the team was, um, you know, they were all just dividing this out, saying, I can fit this. I can take this. I can. So they, between the team, they, they divided out 30 pounds, you know, of stuff in my pack. And that picture of just brotherhood, it's not just we're all a church body and it's happy. I mean, that is pain. They're taking pain upon themselves, you know. So to see just that kind of love was just encouraging. And um, that night we got up there, um, Tatupani, still sick, but starting to feel maybe a little bit better. Um, went through the night completely sick. Um, the next morning, Rory comes over in two different guest houses. Rory comes over and says, um, hey, we had Wi-Fi here last night. And I'm like, you had Wi-Fi? Like, I need to go. I need to get some message out to my wife, you know, just let her know that I'm sick. And so I do that, and I get about five minutes of Wi-Fi, just get a couple texts out that say, I am sick. Like, pray for me. And I didn't know what was going on over here. Um, But that was a home group night. And my wife had just got home, and then she texted a couple people out. and, And 20 minutes later, these people show up at her house here in Primeville and say, Let's just pray, you know. 
And so that was cool. Um, so that was the morning we were getting ready to hike. So that was the morning that I puked every hundred yards all the way up that hill. And, uh, so they prayed that night. They went to bed the next morning. Um, my wife and several of you, um, fasted that day. So that was, we hiked during the day. You guys were sleeping. So that night I get there, we're resting. I'm still sick. We got up there. I go to bed for like three hours. Um, still sick, wake up that night, eat a little bit of dinner, puke it right back up immediately. Um, but that was the, so that was morning here. You guys started fasting. Several of you started fasting that day. And, um, I never puked after that. Um, I couldn't eat a ton and I didn't have an appetite and I couldn't drink a ton, but I stopped puking. I'd been puking for three days nonstop and other things, three days nonstop and I didn't have another bout of sickness. I was weak, you know, I was definitely weak, but, um, but praise God for that. Just to, um, we talk about miracles and, and healing and just the Lord working, you know, in his sovereign plan over that. So you guys here praying, I mean, that is a testimony of, of the Lord working through you and hearing you. And, and you guys are just as much a part of that team as a part, a part of this team as, as we are there, you know, everybody is called to a specific role and, um, we never downplay the role that we're called to because every role is a, is a, yeah, um, is vitally important to, um, to walking in, in what Christ has, has called us to do. So anyway, <clears throat> awesome. Uh, Dustin's going to share about Chilime and then DJ will share about Goldjung and vis- or Gatling and visiting the church there. And just a quick note is, um, I he- heard from Jack the night we were saying goodbye, um, that Gilson is a disciple of the Footstool Project, uh, which is really cool when you see God sovereignly working through these dreams and visions and appearances of angels and even Buddha appearing and saying, okay, quit worshiping me and worship Jesus. Uh, and then to see that uh, these disciples were from the Footstool Project that would disciple him and equip him to ministry. So that's really exciting to be a part of that uh, heritage as well. So uh, Tambuche or Chilime is what it's called and uh, just praying for the different villagers there and the paralyzed gal Dustin and then maybe just that word of encouragement that you had for us that night yeah um, so Chilime was kind of uh, kind of a, a nice surprise I guess it's kind of like Jeremy was saying when we went to that last village there was nobody around and it's kind of not what you're expecting you're expecting to go there and to be able to you know we, part of the weight in our bags is all these toys that we want to give out so we can get the weight off of our backs, but um, we didn't get it on that last trip. So we head to this village, and um, we're hiking up there, and um, you just see kids. And so it was it was a nice, um, nice surprise to come up to this village, too. And um, so instantly when we got there, it's like Rory's a magnet. There was like 20 kids that just... Right, and sorry, you're probably gonna have ten kids because he needs to have ten kids. Because he's, <laughs> he's like, I don't know, watching him is just like, it's pretty amazing. These kids love him, yeah. and uh, I do remember Rory. I don't know if you taught him it or if they knew it, but he, uh, Jesus loves me. That Jeremy you know, got that, the first round in. Okay, uh, uh, that song that we sing when we're little, and I remember I went up to set my sleeping bag on my bed and everything, and you can just hear kids outside, they're like screaming it, Jesus loves me. And, and you can understand it because they're doing it in English because Roy doesn't know Nepali. So uh, <laughs> it, was, it was awesome to see that. And uh, I think, Jeremy, I think you probably blew up 100 balloons that day too because before we left, he learned how to make balloon animals. But 
And that little girl was a firecracker. She was like, yeah, she's bossing everybody around. But anyway, it was a, it was a nice surprise to go there and to um, just be able to to interact with the kids because um, that's kind of a huge um, huge reason to go down there um, to disciple these kids and to give them hope, you know. And and they're joyful, and it seems like they know. Uh, I think this town is kind of more of a central point for workers to come to and and um, trekkers to go through and everything. So I th- I think they know the deal. They come up and they ask for chocolate and everything. So. They kind of know what's going on, but uh, that was, yeah, it was, a, it was a nice little surprise. The town um, just was kind of broken and dirty and um, just a little a little bit, um, not I guess not my favorite town, but um, it was good to be there. And um, so there was a guy that was there when we got there um, that he spoke pretty good English. I think he was a social studies teacher and an English teacher at the school there. And I think he had something to do with the church. I'm pretty sure he wasn't the head pastor, but he he kind of presented himself as he was. But he told us that um, there were some people that needed prayer and it asked if we would come pray for him. So um, I think we got together with Luke, our leader, and, and um, we decided to head down. And there was a lady inside this hut. Um, I'm sure there's a picture that will pop up. But she was, um, you could just tell she was broken she couldn't move her arm and her leg and I, she it was explained to us that she had got kicked by milk and a a goat or a cow or something milk and some, a yak yeah and so um she had gone lame on her one side and she just looked at us she's just desperate for prayer or for something and i think the cool part to it too is you can see in these people's eyes that they may not know jesus and they it, it seems like they kind of know what we're coming for like they can sense a presence of um, oh, these people must be Christians, or these people must um, have hope in them. So um, you can tell that they're they're desperate for us to pray for them because they know that there's healing in that, um, and they understand that. And so uh, we went in there and and we we gathered around, and it's kind of new for me. It was kind of a, a one of those culture shock things that in the poly style you just gather around and everybody's praying, and there's different languages going on, and um, I'm sure it probably sounds a little creepy outside of the hut to other people, but it was uh, it was actually a pretty unique experience just to be able to do that for her. Um, and, you know, regardless of if God healed her or not, it was just something that we um, got to do as a team. And to experience that was really cool. And, and uh, just the hope that um, there would be healing, because we had prayed for that before, that, that something miraculous would happen and we'd be able to see that. But uh, anyway... Nothing happened that night. Uh, we didn't see any difference. I don't think she felt any different, but um, we ended up going back and eating and going to bed. And um, I believe it was the next morning we were getting ready to go. And, and I don't know what her condition was before, and, but um, she was walking towards us. And she was, there was another guest house right in front of us, and she was, she was walking. And I don't know if she could walk before, um, but it was... Um, it was very cool to see. And then we got another chance to pray for her before we left. And and it, it just seemed like there was a difference in her just because she was enjoying the sun. She was out of her hut, and she was um, accepting of us to come pray for her again. So um, that was a pretty unique, cool experience. And then um, I think that night, too, before after we prayed for her, we went to another. The guy brought us over to another house, and um, we got the chance to pray for a lady. Her husband was in... 
Pakistan? Israel. Israel. Okay, her husband was in Israel away for work, and she, um, she may have been pregnant or had his kids, and she was just asking for prayer. Just, it, was, um, it was hard for her, so we, we got to go pray for her. And then, Mark, not to throw you under the bus, because I think we were all in the same boat, <laughs> misunderstanding. There was another lady there, and I think we had all thought that he asked for us to pray for the child in her womb. And so Mark went ahead and prayed for the child in her womb, and then our interpreter afterwards said, she's not pregnant. Yeah, twins. <laughs> twins. <laughs> so. It was a total wash. <laughs> it was Communication kind of a, breakdown. Thank God she didn't understand English because she probably would have slapped him. But it was, I, know, I, think, uh, I think that uh, the cool thing about that is, is God doesn't need us to be spot on every time or even spot on any time because we're way off <laughs> yeah we were way off but the cool thing was there was joy in that house and they were very thankful we were there and god can do what he wants with that because he understands the situation so aside from us uh that was pretty funny uh, <laughs> um yeah now yeah, she probably, probably is pregnant but <laughs> no that uh that was uh she had actually uh let us know that she'd been fasting that whole day and felt like the Lord told her that a group oh of yeah what a group ten people or of something. trekkers or disciples or something were going to be coming uh, yeah. into the village and and then we got to pray for her to be pregnant so yeah. <laughs> signs and wonders so, yeah. <laughs> yeah God is awesome so uh, that was yeah that was a um, a really neat deal and then we kind of spent the rest of the time. Um, playing with the kids, and, and Eli got to play some games. It was, and Eli, Eli did awesome on that trip. It was really cool to see him. He was basically leading the charge the whole way, running in front of everybody. So uh, he was out there playing tag or something with all the kids, but um, he got some, some quality kid time in. Um, and so that village was just kind of a, a, a cool kickoff to the, the next village that we went to. And I don't, I'll, I'll share, I guess, um, I won't share, DJ will share more about it, but um, we left our packs and we got a hike up to um, Gat- Gatling. Or? Uh, it's two different things on a map. Yeah, it's either things on the map, or Gatling. We went up to this village and um, there was kids there. We handed out the kids and there, there was a local church there that that gathered. And um, not really knowing what to expect, we gathered in this hut that uh, didn't fit all of us, but we did it anyway. So. Um, I didn't know what to expect as far as a, a church body over there and the way they believe. For some reason, I have this thought in my head that, you know, here in America, we're the only ones that understand Jesus, that we, and it's, it's totally not true. And that was kind of a big wake-up call for me because the way that they worshiped, they understood it. And the things that they didn't have, you know, we have, we are so blessed. We have this church, we have the people in this church, and um, their faith um, seems stronger than mine sometimes, um, in those moments, you know, when they're praying. And, and I didn't understand what they were saying, but I got the gist of it. And it was um, a very cool experience. And so um, af- after that, uh, we headed down the hill. And I think, Rory, I think you had that song playing on your iPod, um, We're No Longer Slaves to Fear. And for some reason, I know I've heard it before maybe, but for some reason that song intertwined with everything that we were experiencing. Because the whole trip I was kind of, we didn't see kids, and I was kind of saying, like, how can you use me here? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? I feel like I'm, I'm just uh, hiking through the Himalayas and handing out a track every once in a while, not getting to talk about Jesus or, you know, what is this for? And 
Um, so on the way down, uh, that song came on, and just something clicked in my head that it doesn't matter where you're at. And the cool thing about this is, is Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't need us. He wants to use us, but he doesn't need us to be in those situations because he can, he can do it however he wants. And, and to see that he's here in this village was um, amazing to me. But I got down, um, we got down and we, um, we shared our highs and lows and I just had a breaking moment. I just, I, I remember I broke down and probably because I had a picture of my wife and son in front of me, so that didn't help either, but uh, I just started bawling and I remember thinking what Jesus did on the cross for us, like we're no longer slaves to fear. We're all children of God. I'm a child of God. They're a child of God. The only difference is they may not know it. You know, some people may not know it. And so what I was thinking in that moment was, what, who am I going to be when I go back home? What am I, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to be in fear of the friends that I have that, that don't know Jesus and I don't want to talk to him because I'm afraid of rejection or I'm afraid? I don't have to be. He died on the cross for that, and that's a huge deal. And, and I feel like that's a big wake-up call too because I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I, I live my life in fear. I do. I, I fear what people think of me. I fear of if I'm going to be able to support my wife and my kids or if I'm going to – and that pushes me down all the time. But it was kind of like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And, and it, from that point on, it was kind of like I, I'm, I'm not going to live in fear. I don't have to. I'm a child of God, and, and Jesus died on the cross for me, for them. And, and the difference is they may not know it, so I'm going to share it with them. And it's the same there as it is here that people don't know. And they're no different than we are. They're just in a different place, and they go through different things. But the fact is is that to share Jesus is not a fearful thing. It should be an awesome, wonderful thing. And so um, that was just kind of a, a moment for me there um, and realizing that that forward on the trip, and I hope that it sticks with me for life. And, I, and that may have been why I had to go on this trip or why I went on this trip is just for him to slap me in the face and tell me to wake up. So... Um, yeah, that's awesome. You want to hit gold jung and, sure. and tato pani? <clears throat> so the famous philosopher and theologian of Ecclesiastes, I think his thesis in verse 2, chapter 1 says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And I realized after spending just a little bit of time in Nepal, seeing how dark it is there and... Um, I realize that no matter where we're at, all is vanity under the sun, obviously, unless we're walking with Jesus. And so that was a big wake-up call for me that it's just as dark here as it is there. However, what I was really blessed with in Nepal, and I saw it in the church here in Goljong when we went up there to go worship on a Saturday morning with the church up there. I think that yeah, that's the church. Actually, that's someone's home. Because their church there in Goljong um, crumbled to the ground from the earthquake. And fortunately, we did see the church building a little bit later. A lot of the buildings there are made of stone up in the mountains because that's a resource they have at their disposal. Fortunately, it was before service that the earthquake happened, so no one was in the building, but a little goat was a scapegoat. And uh, we saw his pellet laying there under, <laughs> under the stones. Um, so right now, they're meeting in someone's home right here. For, so it was a home church. It was, a, I guess, a 242 group. Mm-hmm. In Goljong, which is really neat. And 
this was the first, well, yeah, one of the first groups of believers that, that we fellowshiped with. And I realized that it's so true that blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger, blessed are the merciful, you know, the beatitudes of Jesus really seen in this country, whether it's in Kathmandu or especially up in these villages, that these people are ripe for the harvest. These people are hungry. They, they want truth. They want lights here in our country, um, at least from my experience, we're not as poor in spirit. We don't mourn as much. And we're not as meek. Um, so the, the, the harvest is very ripe. And in this church, we got to worship with them. The, the worship was, was beautiful. Um, it was very humbling going into a house, into a church with dirt floors and, and on the dirt. And they want you to take off your shoes. Um, so we took off our shoes and they actually had a rug that we all sat on and and uh, they sang in Nepali, um, so it was, it's it's one big service. It's not child, there's no children's ministry there. It's it's family style service, and and so they worshipped a few songs in Nepali, but you could make out some of the words, and it was just very beautiful and very very heart touching. And then we sang a couple songs, right? And yes, we did. in English, yes. <laughs> Hallelujah, Hallelujah, and, and That's... it was just a beautiful time, and and. Um, and I had the honor, the blessing of holding a little six-month-old girl, uh, Mark, and I think Dan, and a few of us kind of passed around this little baby girl. Her name's Esther. Oh, there she is. Yeah, little Esther. So it's just and it, one of the things that just blows me away is you see these kids a couple of days in a row, and they're wearing the same clothes, the same snot that's on their face the day before is the same snot on their on their face the next day, and uh, but the joy in in these families and. And what this village, this church really showed me is in this dark place. It's like looking at the night sky on a, on a, on a clear night here in Prineville, and it's dark out there, and that's Nepal. It's dark. And you saw that in, in Kathmandu with Posh Potty and the darkness of, of the satanic-driven um, um, religions that, that they're um, engaged in. But to see the bright stars... That's what these Christians that we came across and in this village as well were, were the, the bright stars in that dark sky. And so we, they served us um, lunch there and they served us tea. And, and, and in the midst of their tragedy, they gave us a tour of their village up there to see all the um, devastated homes that we saw in, in most villages. Um, was no different here. Um, we stood outside of the home there and played ball with some of the children there, a little game of volleyball and throwing a football around, I believe for a couple hours and they served us lunch and um, it was just a blessed, a blessed time. And from there we made our way down back to uh, Chilime, Chilime, Ch Chilime, the previous village. So we just went up here for the day to um, um, just fellowship with these group of believers and, and, and service with them. And Rory did a teaching on them, exhorting them to um, heed the calling to go up to their neighbors, the neighboring villages to, to share the word of Jesus with them. And, I think it's so beautiful that, that our church desires not to make it American churches over there, but to disciple those that are called to go out and, and make disciples amongst their own people. On the way down, um, there was a Buddhist, um, I don't know, some kind of worship stupa. stupa on the side of this hill that we had come across on the way up, and there was no one there. Then on the way down, there was probably about four or five guys um, it looked like they're trying to restore it. 
they're uh, maybe painting it or cleaning it off. And, and one of the things I wanted to comment on is the whole way, as we're trekking from beginning to end, the one thing we're doing, and Mark led the way on this, at least from my observation, is handing out tracks. So as we're going through these villages, as we're coming across people on the side of these mountains, um, we're handing out tracks in their language um, and telling them about the power of Jesus. And so at least being able to plant a seed with these people. And, and Mark was really leading the way I saw consistently going out of his way as others as well. But as we're coming down, we kind of, we saw these guys and at least my first thought was just, okay, let's just kind of not disturb them because they're restoring their holy worship place. And also I turn around and there's Mark <laughs> handing out a tract to one of the guys and, and, uh, and so I, and probably some others that were back there as well. Then we, as a group, we kind of stopped and, and there were some guys a little bit, oh, here it is right here. So there's some guys there that were probably in their mid twenties, some younger guys and our interpreters got involved, uh, uh, Pravat and Suman who were with us. Um, they got involved in the conversation and these younger guys, I thought they, I thought they were going to go Jackie Chan on us cause they, they're standing there just like. I mean, and I, I was waiting for the bamboo to come out and start whipping us around, but it, I think they were just hungry. And then there was this older man. Um, I think he was a little, uh, probably a little intoxicated, but but he. We we're talking about the power of Jesus, and I believe he understood because he uh, finally I, I was able to make out. He was talking about the sun and and from the ground and up to the sky, and I believe he was probably talking about the resurrection, or at least what he understood. He had heard the story at some points. And then it got into almost a, what I was anticipating, a little Elijah and challenging the, the uh, how's the story go? Prophet, the, false the, the false prophets with the ball and have the fire you know, rain down on, on the altars. And I thought it was maybe going to turn into one of those moments. <laughs> um, and I, and I, we wanted to exhort these guys to look at this beautiful creation around them and to challenge them as to who created these Himalayas. Who, what's the God above all other false gods to um, create them? And from my understanding, I was sharing with them about the, uh, um, fr- from the information that I'm, I have, uh, that there are seashells atop uh, a lot of the Himalayas. And my understanding is, and it probably depends on what your starting point is about an old earth or a new earth, I'm not here to debate that, but um, is that there was a great flood that uh, brought the waters above all the earth and there are seashells up there. And to challenge them, how did that happen? Um, so it was just a great moment to encounter these Tibet Buddhists. And a lot of them, the older man uh, was a refugee from Tibet. Um, and he had been down here for, I think, several couple decades now. Um, but to just have that moment to engage with him lovingly, and all of us did. And it didn't turn into a, uh, a bringing fire down moment. Maybe it did in their hearts, but... So that was just a great moment to um, engage with those that were in the middle of worshiping Buddha. And again, I want to stress that along this whole journey, we were handing out tracts um, to, to people along the way and telling them about the power of Jesus. We were, and certainly um, along the trails. You want me to stop there? Um, yeah, that's probably, yeah. that's okay. awesome. Great, great testimony. Mark, uh, oh, you were going to tell about Tato Pani. Yeah. So the next day, um, we went back down to um, Chilime and stayed there one more night um, to let Jeremy sweat out his his illness a little bit more. And fortunately, he was strong enough uh, with Lord's strength that we went up to another village called Tatapani, which means hot water. 
And Tatapani is really known. It's on a, the trekkers map as a common place for people to trek through. They have hot springs there. This isn't not the infamous hot springs incident that we had as a team, but <laughs> um, keep going, keep going. But they, <laughs> this village, I think one of their main industries up there is having guest houses and and accommodating trekkers. And but they have a uh, the earthquake really um, damaged this hot spring structure that they had. So we went and checked that out. It wasn't warm enough to use that one, so we saved it for the end of the trip. But. We, we stayed in this guest house. We split up our two teams. Um, it, it was great because that, I think it was the first night that we split up into two guest houses here in Tatapani. And so that allowed us to share economics with a couple other businesses. It also allowed us to just really kind of spread out in the village and get to know the, the owners and those that are in the guest house. This is where we, and so in the guest house that I stayed in, um, Luke, uh, with Mountain Child was kind of our leader for, and Rory was the leader in the other guest house. And, and we found out that the owner of this guest house was a Christian. And again, it was an, another great, um, testimony of just seeing bright stars of joy in the dark sky of Nepal. Um, and so we had great conversations and it was very humbling to learn that his, I think it was his 12 year old son, he was expecting his son back any day from school in Kathmandu. And it made me just, again, another, um, just another reflection upon how, you know, well we have it here. Um, his son was down in Kathmandu, and he had to make probably an eight, ten-hour bus ride, then he had to trek up through, you know, just to get to his village, and, and his, his son was coming home. But this man was, was another blessing. Um, and, and what occurred to me that night and several, several of us talking that night was these people need discipleship. And... And it we and so I'm really encouraged to see what Aaron and Stephanie what they're feeling called to do in Bador and 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 things that they're doing with the the some of the local churches there to see that they want to get up they want to allow they want to equip the locals to get up and disciple the believers up in the Himalayas it's very badly needed and this gentleman had a a Bible in um, Nepali and he also had a Gideon um, New Testament Bible in Nepali and it just made me think that one of the things, if I go back next time, I want to get some Gideon Bibles in Nepali to be able to hand out the Word of God, the tracts, but also the, the Word of God. Um, and as we made a tour, there's a church that was being built there in Tatapani by a Korean group. I'm sure it was a Korean church. Um, they had sponsored a building of a new church and, and a new school. And so we toured around the village and we saw um, four guys that were um, working on this new church and these guys could probably describe it better than I can in regards to the ty types of tools that they're using, doing a lot of things by hand. And I don't even know if they had power tools, but actually there's a church there that the three younger guys um, had came from western, somewhere in western Nepal. They, they looked Indian to me. I'm not sure if they're originally from India, but they definitely looked different. They're skilled tradesmen, um, and, and they're in high demand, and they've been living out here in this, that orange tent there. They've been living in that orange tent for about three or four months living on the job site, doing this work. And we shared the, the gospel with them. Um, there was one young guy that was very responsive, at least in listening, and he was hungry. Um, we noticed he had a, a, a bandage on one of his fingers, um, which reminds me of something else. But So this bandage on his finger looked pretty ravaged up, and, and we, we ended up praying over him that he would... Um, he allowed us to pray for him, that he would hear from the true God, and that he would... 
um, have wisdom and discernment as to who, who's the true God, the true God to worship. He has, he is Hindu. Um, and let me take a step back here really quick. As we're going up in that village that day, um, we were passing through kind of the beginning of the village and we're walking by and we saw some, a couple ladies out in their, I guess, little front porch area. And the younger lady, probably a mom, it waved us over and she brought over her mom, probably, you know, grandma. And it was just kind of pointing at her head and, and she, grandma put her head down. She had this big old gash, big fresh gash in her head. And, and the story is that she was up in a tree cutting wood. Oh, here it is. Is that it here? Mm-hmm. Um, cutting wood and she fell out of a tree or something happened. She got a big gash in her head. And this was a great opportunity um, <clears throat> for uh, Mark and I to uh, secure the scene <laughs> from, from, for people getting in and, and then Dan really to come in and use obviously his skill set as a fireman, uh, EMT, paramedic. Or, and and uh, our guides had a nice, great first aid kit. Is that you, Rory? No, that's uh, Oh, is that Dan? Dan. Yeah, and so it, it was a great, the whole team came together, first aid kit, Dan, Eli, um, there's Luke, one of our main guides, main guide with uh, Mountain Child, so it was a great way just to, just to be the hands of God, and, and something that I'm sure an infection in the head up there could do a lot of damage, so we were able to give her some drugs as well for the pain, and, and so it was just a great way to be hands-on. And we were able to do that one, one more time, oh, there's the hot springs, and none of us that's all the water coming out of it. None of us dared to go on that one. Well, we dared. We dared, but <laughs> none of us fell for it. <laughs> we fell for the yeah, the next one. Yeah. Um, and so this one of the guys, the Hindu guy that we prayed for at the church, the next day a couple of us just felt a burden to go back and follow up with him and to bring some supplies to him. Um, so um, uh, Pravat, the Nepali um, translator with us. Him and I went down there to just kind of follow up with him, see if he had any questions in regards to the uh, a conversation he had with him the day before, and they bring him some a fresh band-aid. We got down there, and it was kind of a ways away from the guest house, and we realized we forgot the stuff. So we, he didn't have any questions about Jesus at that point, but um, we told him that we were going to leave some materials for him at the guest house where we stayed at, and he said, hey, can I come with you guys? We're like, yeah, sure. So he comes up with us, and Dan looks at it and goes, wow, you know, I'm glad you guys brought him up here because it was very infected. Um, and I, I, again, Mark and I were securing the scene <laughs> while everyone else was working. And his finger was to the point of down to the bone, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't really so. want to see it, and I didn't. But Dan did, and I think Rory, and, and some heavy cleansing and, and antibiotics and that things of that nature went on that guy. And he got to see, again, the, the love of Jesus at, being hands-on. Um, and so they bandaged it up really well. And, and he went back to start working. And they got it so hard on his, the tape and duct tape. <laughs> they were trying to create, a, I believe, like a, little, um, like a little mini cast. All of a sudden, we heard pounding. And we, we thought maybe that was his cast pounding on the nails. But... <laughs> Um, so that was our time in Tatapani. It was a blessing. And uh, from here, we ended up trekking up to another high place, of uh, which I think... Great, great testimony. Okay, we're going to make it quick because I know you guys are getting ready for your Super Bowl party and everything like that. Um, Mark, can you just share about Negtali and sharing with um, the guest house and being a part of being in that? What was his name? Um, Neem- Neem- uh, uh, no, no, Pum- Pumba. 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 
And then, uh, Eli, you just share about trekking to the viewpoint real quick and what that was like, and then just share your heart of what God did. And then um, Jeremy and DJ just quickly about Mont Mendo coming down and finishing it up. So the next morning we headed out um, <coughs> to Nogtali, which uh, ended up being a pretty grueling hike. Um, I think uh, been neglected to mention that the night before, I th- think uh, we had made friends with a guy by the name of Franz from uh, a Frenchman that is now living in Madagascar. In our paths, he basically was part of our group for the next three or four days, and uh, it was pretty unreal. But um, So we trekked up to Nogtali, and there was a point uh, right in this area, I think, here where we, we kind of went up above the tree line, and you started to feel a little bit different. The air really started to get a little thinner, and, and, uh, and you could feel yeah, right in here. Uh, the pressure kind of on your head and you got to dig a little deeper for the next breath and we got up there and it was pretty cold and um, we ended up splitting into two guest houses again and uh, um, it was Rory, myself, Sean and Jeremy Jeremy and Ken in one guest house and we were able to just hang out and uh, and just love on the owners of this guest house. And um, later that afternoon, um, Rory got out the Christian Tonka in, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half, hour, uh, just sat and spoke with the gentleman, uh, uh, Pimba, um, the owner of the guest house. And they had him sandwiched between... Rory and maybe Ken and uh, he just sat there and, and listened with this big grin on his face and I think Pravat um, translated the whole time and it was just a really neat thing to sit and watch and uh, um, so then later that night um, was it his brother? Um, drunk uncle. Yeah drunk <laughs> uncle anyway he comes in and real talkative uh, pretty loud but it it got kind of fun. Uh, Rory ended up dancing for oh, them, you got uh, singing Old <laughs> MacDonald and dancing for them, and um, it, it actually it was just a was just a fun time to love on this family. And the whole time, Franz is in there. We're we're praying for these people. Um, he's just taking it all in, and uh, um, you just wonder, you know, if and how we may have affected this man's life. Um, so that, that, I think it was that night in the dark, we're trying to show Rory the, these mountain peaks across the valley. And he's, he's like, no, I don't think they're, they're right. They're not that high. They're not right there. And so sure enough, the next morning you get up and, and there they are, just a panoramic view of, uh, what's the high one? Long Tong Peak. And it's that one right there. It's 23,000 some odd feet. And it's just right right in our front yard um, and we're at 10,500 feet right here and uh, and that is the owner next to me in that picture uh, and his wife and 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 child it was just a really neat time um, uh, with this with this family and I got to use the guy's Gurkha large Gurkha knife to chop wood to build a fire it was it was big 
and uh, he let me use that, so that was kind of a highlight. There they are trying to show me the mountains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't there, believe that's you. That's when we're debating where the mountains are right there. So, anyway. Awesome. Uh, so, from Nagdali, we went up to a viewpoint. Um, uh, it was about an hour and a half trek that you could see Tibet. One way, wasn't it? One way. Oh, yeah, so one way, hour and a half. Two for Jeremy. Anyways, uh, Eli. <laughs> Just share about the trek and then the view, buddy. Um, well, on the trek, it, Luke, our guide, said it was like only 500 feet to the viewpoint, <laughs> and it was more like 2,500. Yeah. Um, and when we got to the top, the trekkers that were following us, I don't know. Koreans. Yeah, the Koreans followed us up there, and (laughs) we got up there and looked at the view, and they hurried, like, and up to us, (coughs) And so we took the pictures before they came to us. <laughs> yeah. We had a bit of a race with the Koreans yeah. for a couple of days there. But we won. <laughs> USA! USA! It was Just, pretty chilly up there. It was chilly. Yeah, yeah. it was real chilly. Not much air. Yeah, so uh, all those mountains and there's like these little haystack brown rocks right there. Uh, that's kind of looking up into Tibet there. It's more to the right of that, technically, but pretty cool to see. But Eli, just share uh, more about what God did in you and in this trip and stuff. I know your dad said that that was on your heart to share. The, sum the trip up for yourself. Sure, yeah. Well... I wanted to come because I heard that of the um, window and of all the people that are unreached and how I was reached and had a chance to spread the word. And I really had a I really felt bad for them not knowing him, so I wanted to go to tell them about Jesus. What was your highest part of the trip? My highest part of the trip um, was the team. The, the team was pretty cool. The Koreans would pat, pat him on the back whenever we'd pass them and just be like, didn't they give him a standing ovation at one point when, they passed, when he passed them? Yeah, the guides had 100 pounds on their neck, you know, that they, and they're clapping for him as, as he goes by. Yeah, as we're passing them. But, uh, and, uh, and then um, just 
closing it out here. Um, we had a real special last day of the trek, and you kind of are on the home stretch, kind of like right now. You're like, let's get done, and <laughs> it doesn't really matter what happens, just get done. And we just somehow the Lord was gracious to not let us end being lazy or anything. Luke had had warned us or or talked to us about this very thing, I think the night before, that we all know that our minds are thinking about ending the trip and getting down off the mountain and getting back, um, you know, and and that don't do that, just carry it through to the end, and and it was pretty sweet. The last village, you know, we knew we were going to pass through. We didn't know what to expect, but what happened there was... I think for all of us, probably one of the brightest, if not the brightest, spots of the whole trip. In fact, it was really neat. Just a testimony of the team. We were in Tumon, which was just back a little bit, and Luke went up. Right when we got to the guest house, he kind of went up to freshen up or whatever, and he's like, okay, I just want to go encourage the team with that word, like, don't give up. We're not done yet. Finish strong, you know, and he came down to tell us that, and we were already out in the street witnessing to people and nowhere to be found. In the rain, it was pouring down rain. Nobody was out, and we were just going up to huts and, like, sticking our head indoors and, like, want to know about Jesus? And he was like, that's been the Prineville team every year. Like, we don't have to tell you to get out and tell people about Jesus. You go do it. And um, I interrupted you, maybe. Nope. Okay, uh, maybe between DJ and Jeremy, uh, just what this, this Mendo outreach sure. heading down these villages of Mendo. Here. This picture right here, it was, this was, uh, we started going to this small village called Mendo the next day back to our home base, as Rory was just describing about. Luke was encouraging us not, hey, this is our last day on the trail, you know, let's, God's going to do something, don't get in flight mode yet. And we get into this small village, and at first we're not seeing a lot of people. And then Rory reaches out here to this guy um, there in the purple, goes down to give him a track, tell him about Jesus. Next thing I know, Rory's got the Tonka out. And the Tonka is a Buddhist like circle of life on um, this progression that they can go through, ultimately with their goal to get snuffed out of life so they're not living this miserable life anymore. So we had this Jesus Tonka that someone had created, um, and so we would use it, and that's probably the Buddhist version there. Yeah. Um, so there's this Christian, and here, here, oh, here's a Christian one. So this someone um, that Mountain Child knew made this tonka to tell the story of Jesus, and and I the way I would describe it to people is Jesus broke the tonka, <laughs> and and so we'd go through this progression of the story, and Rory was sharing the t- and this guy was hungry for it, and. He went through it, and Rory is talking to the guy at the end about Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. It was just a great moment of this guy being hungry, and there's his family and young wife and probably parents. Um, and so later on, as we're getting down through the village, we came across um, near the end, um, the, and we're, kids were coming out of the woodwork. So it was just great to be able to love on the kids along the way here, and Jeremy making his balloons. The only thing that Jeremy might want to bring next time is a... Uh, no, no. I was going to say uh, a clown nose and hat or something. <laughs> but Jeremy was magical out there with those kids making making balloons and monkeys and dogs for them and stuff and swords, and they, the kids love that. And near the end, and I'll let Jeremy focus on this, but we met another family and come to find out there it was a Christian family, and um, they ended up inviting us in for tea. And I believe it was that family 
Rory had shared with him about someone else, this previous guy that you saw in the picture that Rory had shared the gospel with in the Tonka, and they knew that guy. And so they know, you know, Rory was encouraging them to uh, follow up with him and, and to, to seek that guy out who's hungry for the Lord. So it's just a beautiful way to really be able to share the Lord and fellowship with Christians one last time as we went to the small village of Mendo, and they served and loved on us on our way out. Yeah, so I don't have too much to add on that other than it was just just a cool day just coming down in almost every place that we would stop. They had either heard of Jesus or they were believers. And so those that had heard but maybe weren't believers, you know, we were able to share the Tonka with. And then we're running into these pockets of these little huts of believers. And it's like, hey, did you know, you know, a half a mile back there's another hut of believers there. And, and Rory, as we're coming down, he's starting, and I think it was just probably the Lord probably, but he's starting to take pictures of these of these of all of these believers that we encountered on the trail. So then when we'd get further down the trail, we'd be like, hey, do you know that there's other believers up there? No, I don't know. Well, here's a picture of them. Go find them, you know? So it was just like, I think that was just even, just the Lord just speaking through Rory and into that. And just, allow, I mean, that was a way that, you know, he, was, he the Lord was using us to equip them to gather and to, to form church because there's a real fear of, um, of of going out and proclaiming because there is persecution and maybe it's not life or death in some situations it probably is but it may not always be but the, but there is a fear when everybody else around you is different you know but if you know that hey that family that you can see that hut right there they're believers and we know that they're believers you know let's get a time and a day and and let's start, and you start to see just that that grassroots the church forming the Lord working and so that was really one thing that just struck me as we were working our way down through Mendo and it was. We were, to, we, we were told that Mendo was here, and then it was here, and then it was over there, and we couldn't figure out which one was Mendo, but the whole, re, the whole region of Mendo that we walked through, um, it, was just like, it was just an amazing opportunity for us to just talk about the, the need for them to gather and to get together and to, and to learn and to pray, you know, and then this family just taking us in. Just, that, was the very la- those were, that was the last hut that we were in on the trip, and they just took us in. They gave us all these little blessing scarves, and and um, and it was just a cool way, almost like they then sent us off. You know, it was like we had the send off here, and then it was like they were just so thankful. That they were just so thankful that this group of believers come down this trail, and they're like, "Oh, just here, take these, and let us serve you, and let us give you tea." And and then they sent us, they sent us off, and um, it was just a cool picture of of just them just abiding again, just coming back to that abiding. It's like this wasn't a cool trip that we get to go on, maybe once in a lifetime, really life changing, all that. But really, it's just this is just part of the plan of God that He calls us to as we abide. You know. 16 days out of the year we get to go and we get to tell people about Jesus in Nepal and the other 345 days out of the year we get to tell people about Jesus here in Primeville and I'm in Madras and you know all of that and it's just I mean it's just a cool picture to know that there are believers and God's plan is working and it's moving and it's all being orchestrated by him and he's using us to accomplish his plan um, and what a blessing that is to have that realization as we walk through window just to see like how he is moving and how he's using us and how he's using them and just you know he's the one doing the work it's not our there's nothing on our shoulders we have no responsibility we have nothing that we can do to go and and make this happen it's just him working through the hearts of people um that's how his plan is is orchestrating we got to see that and feel that and um be a part of that that was cool it's awesome why don't we go ahead and stand and sean grab the mic you were just going to share one last verse on your heart thanks jeremy um while i was over there we did highs and lows and there was a lot of highs um, and not so many lows. And uh, at the end, it was like, what does this trip mean to each one of us? And 
I really couldn't put it into words. And <clears throat> I stepped back and I um, thought about it um, this last week. And even while I was there, I was thinking about um, what's God doing in all this and through all this. And um, he just gave me this scripture. Um, <clears throat> and after all, we're in church and, um, you know, <laughs> this is where you hear some scripture. Um, and I don't think we've had that yet. So, <clears throat> But this is just a word um, from the Lord that the Lord's given me. I just wanted to share it with you guys. And it's Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, unity in the body of Christ. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy <clears throat> of the calling to which you have been called. With all humil- humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with <clears throat> one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given each one of us according to the measures of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when we ascend on high, he led, most, he led a host of captives, and he gave, them gifts, gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions of earth. He who descends is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking in truth, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which each is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that was just uh, the scripture he laid on my heart, and that's just kind of sums up the trip. And uh, just thankful to be a part of this church body. Um, <clears throat> and uh, every everyone here um, is part of the Nepal team. Uh, everybody had a part in sending whether it was your loved ones, whether it was financially, whether it was just gifts, whether it was just in prayer. But um, anyway, so awesome. I just wanted to share that. Awesome. And just to give God glory, at the end of the trip, we had a final meeting, and Luke you know, just said, you know, I was hoping to see, I, I couldn't wait for you guys to get here. I was anticipating that you would be a breath of fresh air, and that's exactly what you guys were the whole trip. It was just like, I was able to breathe again. He's like, we have teams that come, and you just can't wait for them to leave again. Like, they're just babysitting, you know? And he's like, with you guys, it just fills my sails with encouragement and friendship. And so we just give uh, God all the glory for that. Let's just pray.